in a world where podcasting rules supreme, you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome to the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. In this podcast, I cover common problems and injuries young athletes may face and ways to keep your kids healthy and as safe as possible while participating in sports. Leading experts in the field will join me to give you the best advice and what is the state of the art in thinking about issues young athletes may face. If you have a stake in the health of young athletes, whether as a parent or coach or even a young athlete yourself, this is the podcast for you. Join me as I bring you the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. If you aren't a self-declared shoe geek like me, you may try finding to buy athletic shoes for your young athlete a major chore. It can also be challenging to fight against the pressures of what the trendy shoe is as opposed to what's truly functional for your young athlete. With so many brands and models, you may be left feeling confused and overwhelmed and may not even know where to start. Well, that's where I come in. You're probably thinking, is this guy truly someone who knows what he's talking about when it comes to shoes? Isn't he a sports medicine doctor? I most certainly am, but I also have a unique background that most of my colleagues don't have. I actually sold shoes for eight years. I started out as a wide-eyed shoe salesman at Warehouse Shoes in Milwaukee with some of my buddies when I was in high school, and then I switched over to work at the Athlete's Foot in college, working at several of their stores in both Madison and Milwaukee. I even continued to work there the first two years of med school. It was a really good job. It was flexible with the hours, which was really important for me at the time, and I had some really good coworkers. But even after I stopped working there, I've continued to have this love and passion for athletic shoes. Ask my wife. She'll freely admit to you I have a slight obsession. I actually even had a website at one point in the early days of the internet that was called the Al Bundy Society, which reviewed new and upcoming shoes. So let's talk about shoes and some of the things I think will help you make the best choices for your young athlete. We'll also cover some of the issues that can contribute to some of the problems that I see in the office that may be footwear related and also cover some of the myths and misconceptions about shoes. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and let's get moving forward with the Choosing the Right Shoe for Your Young Athlete episode of the Healthy Young Athlete podcast. Let's start off just by talking about what really makes a shoe specific for sports. Obviously, there's a zillion different types of shoes out there. We have running shoes, we have cleats for sports that require quick traction and working on soft surfaces. There's spikes for track. There's basketball shoes, tennis shoes. Does it really make a difference? Yes, it does. And that's because each of those different types of footwear are designed for different types of activity. So a running shoe, as an example, is designed for a straightforward activity. It's not designed for side to side. So if you took someone and you put them in a running shoe and you had them go out and start playing tennis in that shoe or basketball, odds are they're going to hurt their foot or ankle. And the reason is, is that they do not provide the side to side support or what we call lateral support to help them. And so obviously if you look at a bottom of a running shoe, it has some traction pattern meant to be able to something that you can go out and run on any sort of surface with, whereas a basketball shoe or a tennis shoe or other court type shoes, volleyball shoe is another example. They're going to be tend to be flat on the bottom because you're going to be on a flat surface all of the time. There's no time that you're not in those sports. And so we want to make sure that you are using the right type of shoe because we don't want to put you at risk of injury. Certainly also a running shoe would not be a good shoe to use indoors on a court because a lot of running shoes have a black rubber outsole on them. And the problem with that is, is that they can leave marks on the floor. So you'll oftentimes notice that on the bottom of the sole, 
that talks about being a non-marking outsole. And that's what that means. It doesn't won't leave marks on a gym floor that some athletic shoes certainly can, depending on the type of material that they use for their outsole. That's the, the bottom of the shoe. So that's why we really want to stick to a sport-specific shoe. Plus, a lot of the footwear companies, pretty much any footwear company out there right now, puts a lot of money into research and development to make sure that the way that we use our feet for that particular sport is actually reflected in the types of supports and the type of cushioning that we use in the shoe to help that person in their sport. So, so it really is important to make sure you are buying a sport-specific shoe. Another point that I'd like to make is making sure that you are getting your feet measured. Unfortunately, now with the convenience of the internet and online ordering, a lot of people aren't going to stores in order to get their shoes. They're buying them online. And I understand the the reason for that. You know, you can oftentimes find a better deal online for shoes. The one problem with that is, is if you're not checking the fit of that particular shoe, that could cause problems. And there's been more than one occasion where I've had kids come into my office and the reason why they're having pain in their feet is because their shoes are way too small and people haven't recognized that. The parent hasn't recognized that. The kid really hasn't recognized it. And then when I have them put their shoe on and actually look at the fit, it's it's clearly too small for them. And that can cause all sorts of issues. It can cause problems around the ball of the foot. So that's the part of the foot down towards the toe on the bottom because toes can get forced back into the shoe and that can cause pain through there and put extra stress on those particular joints. We also can see troubles with blisters. We can see troubles with calluses form on the feet. Some of those can become quite painful. We can see pain and bunions get worsened and troubles from those just because the widest part of the shoe is not in the widest part of the foot. So it is really important to get your feet measured, especially in your young athlete, because we know that their feet are going to continue to grow probably until the early part of high school at the latest. Although some people do have a little bit of a late bloom, but usually by the time that kids get into ninth or 10th grade, most of the time their feet are done growing. But we want to make sure that we are doing that through a proper technique and that's using a measuring device. And so there is a device out there called the Brannock device, which probably most of us are familiar with. That's that lovely little metal device. And it, you put your foot onto it and they can actually assess your width with that. They can also look at your length with that. It is really important to make sure that you measure both feet because almost all of us have one foot that is slightly larger than the other. And ideally we do want to buy our shoes to the larger foot rather than the smaller foot. So I would make sure that you're getting your feet measured. I would actually even recommend for you as an adult that periodically you get your feet measured too, because as we get older, our feet tend to widen out and they sometimes do get a little bit longer. You may actually not have the same shoe size you had when you were younger, not because your foot's grown, it's just because it's spread out a little bit. So how long will a shoe last? So that's a good question. Obviously, some shoes can be quite expensive and we want to get our best bang for our buck and use those as long as we can. However, we do have to remember that after a while, cushioning is going to break down in a shoe. The support is going to break down in a shoe. The tread on the bottom of a shoe is going to wear down, which is going to lead to problems related to traction for that particular model. And obviously, if you use a shoe too long in a growing kid, their shoe is probably going to get too small. You know, ideally, we have some good data on running shoes. Running shoes, typically, most people will say 400, 500 miles tops on that shoe. So you may actually even want to think sometimes a little bit lower than that, but ideally that's about right. However, some people are obviously very hard on their shoes. So you want to take a look at their shoe. The one thing you don't want to just focus on is on the top of the shoe because a shoe may look good, especially if someone is good about taking care of their shoes or if a shoe is used indoors all the time and they're not getting all the dirt and, and all that type of stuff on top of the shoe, you may look at it and say, oh, that shoe still looks like it's in pretty good shape. There's no holes in it. And then you turn it over and look at the bottom of it and the tread's completely worn down. 
in those situations there, you really want to make sure that you're looking at the bottom and make sure that you're not getting bald spots on the shoe, because if so, then it's probably not doing what it needs to do. And it's probably reached its lifespan for that particular shoe. Oftentimes, I will say if someone has played a full sports season, so a high school season, and that could be a fall season, a spring season, a winter season, or if they've done a club sports season, it's probably time to replace their shoe after every season. I think that's a good thing to invest in as far as making sure that you do have the right type of footwear for that person and it's not wearing down. How important is it to get the quote unquote best shoe out there? Well, obviously, there's lots of marketing for footwear. But does it mean that that shoe is the best shoe? Or when you look at a place like Consumer Reports or Running Magazine, and they say that this is the editor's choice or the best shoe that's out there, is that truly the best shoe? And that's one thing I cringe about because there is not one best shoe for everyone. It's not like one particular model, the one that's ranked the best is going to be the ideal shoe. Now, it's probably a very good shoe, but I would argue most of the shoes that are out there these days are pretty good shoes. There's not a lot of things that are poor quality, unless you're getting into some of the generic models or things like that. But in the big picture things, you know, whether you're going to a Nike or a Reebok or an Asics or Adidas or Under Armour or Hoka, you name it, you can bring out any of the brands that are out there. I would argue that all of those brands are very good and all produce a good shoe. The two most important parameters that I talk to patients about when they're going out and getting their shoes and what I used to do all the time when we talked about when I sold shoes to patients is fit and feel. First of all, if the shoe does not fit properly, it is going to be an awful shoe for that particular person. Make sure that shoe is fit properly. And one thing that we talk about doing when we're looking at that is making sure that they're going to wear the shoe with the normal socks that they're going to wear with that shoe because some people wear really thick socks, some people wear really thin socks. And so that may make a difference in how the shoe fits on that particular person and how it feels. The best time to actually measure your foot and also try on shoes is towards the end of the day. And the reason why that is, is our feet do tend to spread out over the course of the day. And so they tend to be their longest and widest at the end of the day. So that's an ideal time because if most of your sports are played in the late afternoon or the evening for your games, well, that's when you really want to make sure that your shoe is fitting properly. And so that's an ideal time to look at getting shoes fit. And then making sure that if you have any other supports or inserts, so say you have an ankle brace that you normally wear, or you have orthotics or some over-the-counter art supports that you use in your shoes, make sure you have those with you and in your shoe that you're trying on to make sure that all that fits properly. Because if you don't, and then you get home and you try those things on and everything feels squished and you don't feel compelled to go back, again, it could be a bad shoe for you. The second most important parameter besides fit is feel. If a shoe does not feel good to you when it's on to begin with, it is not something that you're going to think about, well, I need to break this in to get this better. In fact, actually, if you have that philosophy, it's probably not going to work out to your advantage. Shoes these days do not typically need a big break-in period like shoes of the past used to have, and that's just because of the types of materials that they have on them now, the types of cushioning, midsoles, and things like that. So if a shoe, when you try it on, does not feel good to you when it's on, and that could be walking around, or ideally, if you go to a store where you can try it on, some of the stores, especially local running stores, will let you run on a treadmill or even sometimes outside around their place, and you can actually get an idea of what they feel like when you actually are using them for the actual purpose you're going to do, rather than just simply walking around. If it just doesn't feel good, don't buy the shoe. I would not encourage you to buy it just because, again, someone recommended it or it was a great shoe for you or things like that. And sometimes it may even just be that pair, to be honest with you. 
shoes are made in all sorts of different factories. They're not perfect with the way they're made every single time. Sometimes a stitch gets put in the wrong way. And if it does, it rubs on your foot and it doesn't feel right. So ideally, if you really, really like how a shoe looks, you really, really like how it fits, but it just didn't feel right. You can always ask to see if they have another pair in your same size and try it on and see. It may actually feel a lot different. And I've had that situation happen many a times where just trying on a different pair actually felt better. So it is something to think about when you're talking about looking at getting your shoes. And so fit and feel are the two main parameters that I talk to people about. Does paying more truly mean that it's that much better of a shoe? No, it's not. Footwear price can be based on all sorts of different things. That can be based on the technology that's in the shoe, but that doesn't always mean that that technology is going to be applicable or helpful for your particular young athlete. It may be more than what they need. It may actually be something that's there that's helping to offset a marketing budget. It may be something that's there for the price to compensate for the fact that it's actually a significant hot shoe at the time. So, you know, the Jordans still for basketball are considered a hot shoe, especially all the retro models. And the prices for those particular models may be higher than what you may pay for a different type of model that serves the same sort of function. So you are paying sometimes for the name in that respect. But you can get very, very good shoes at lower price points that are going to serve the purpose. So it doesn't always have to be that you're getting the most expensive shoe out there to get the best shoe for your particular foot and your young athlete. Let's talk about specific sport type shoes. So can you use a soccer cleat for baseball, but vice versa? No. And the reason is, is yes, they are both cleats, but there is a big distinction. So if you talk about a baseball cleat, a baseball cleat has a front spike. So if you looked at the very front of it, there is an actual cleat up in the very front of the shoe, like right at the top or the tip of the shoe. That's not legal in soccer. So if you tried to use a baseball cleat for soccer, well, that's not going to fly very well. Plus, there also is a little bit of a difference there. The baseball cleats have a little bit of a pattern designed for that rotation for when you're pivoting, like at the plate, so to speak, for hitting that you don't necessarily need for soccer. When you also talk about soccer, could you use a soccer cleat for baseball? Sure, because it doesn't have that front spike. So the legal part of there is not there. However, I would argue when you look at a baseball cleat, again, they're going to be more of a kind of a a squared off pattern where if you look at a soccer cleat, oftentimes they're rounded. Typically, you're going to be in grass most of the time or turf most of the time for soccer, as opposed to baseball where you are going to spend some time in the grass and some time out in the dirt. So you want a shoe that can basically accommodate those types of things. The other thing to remember, too, is that there are different types of cleats, too. So there are, in soccer, hard ground cleats, which tend to have a lot of rubber nubs on them to basically not be something that's very restrictive or hard on a hard ground. So like the cold ground, the cold hard ground coming out of the winter. And then you may have uh, the traditional cleat that's designed more for typical ground when it's soft or in the summer and fall and things like that, or a wet ground. The other thing to remember, too, with cleats is that There may be some differences if you're using them on turf, depending on the type of turf that you're playing on versus actual true ground. So one other thing from a sport specific point I'd like to make, and this also talks, uh, it's a little bit about spikes in and of itself, is I am not a big fan of track runners training in their track spikes. And what I mean by that is not necessarily the jumpers. The jumpers are doing something very specific. And in that situation, training in your spikes may be fine. But if you're going to go out and train and condition and run some miles in that, I would not advise you to do that on a regular basis in your spikes. This really spikes are meant for competition. Same thing applies from my standpoint for sprinters and for distance runners. If you're a sprinter or distance runner, train in your actual running shoes, race in your spikes. 
There's one big advantage to that too that people oftentimes don't think about. When you talk about your training shoe, your training shoe is typically going to be heavier than your spike. When you train all the time in a heavier shoe, you're going to train your legs a little bit to run in something that's a little bit heavier. And then when you get to your spike, you're going to feel a little bit lighter on your feet, which is actually an advantage for you when you go out there and run. So I would encourage you again to think about making sure you're using the right type of shoe for training as well. What about if a store is recommending getting arch supports? What if they're suggesting those? I see that a lot. Um, I certainly remember when I sold shoes, we would get extra commission, which is an extra incentive for us when we sold accessories. And that could be socks or that could be orthotics or it could be things like, oh, foot sprays or shoe cleaners or things like that, shoelaces. There was an extra incentive if we added on to the sale. And again, that's sales in general. But do you really need an art support? No, not everybody needs an arch support. And I would argue just because of how someone's foot looks, whether that means that their arch is low or they pronate a lot, so their arch rolls in quite a bit, that the first thing I would not jump to is saying, well, we need to correct that with an arch support. And the reason why I say that is that 75% of the population tends to pronate, which means their arch rolls towards the inside. So that's how our foot naturally tends to absorb shock to some extent. Do we really need to correct that if that's what our shoe is or what our foot naturally does when it's barefoot? No, we don't have to correct things from a visual standpoint. Okay, we need to correct things if we're actually having problems from those. And so sometimes people will excessively pronate and then that can load their shins more or it can load their feet in awkward patterns or sometimes puts different stresses around the muscles and tendons around their ankle. In that situation, then yeah, we may want to consider arch supports, but we wouldn't do it just for the purpose of you're not having any problems, you're a brand new runner, and hey, we looked at you and you pronate, so let's throw you in some arch supports. That I would suggest is not the right thing to do. And again, that's my opinion on that. Someone who sold shoes and as a healthcare professional in sports medicine who deals with this on a regular basis, I have seen problems come from people getting put into arch supports where they really don't need that additional support. I actually had that problem myself. When I was in high school, my freshman year, I was thrown into an art support in my shoe. In addition to also being put in an extremely stable shoe because I did pronate and that overcorrected things for me. And actually I wound up running into more leg pain and problems because of that. In the big picture of things, again, if you do really need them, sure, we can think about adding those types of things in. But in the big picture of things, not everybody needs an art support for their shoes. And I wouldn't get them just because I do them if we're starting to have problems. And that problem is going to be something that could be rectified or improved by using that art support. How about high tops? So high top shoes, does it really prevent you from getting an ankle sprain? No, it doesn't. There's actually research that has looked at this and there is not any significant differences in the rate of sprains between high top and low top shoes. Now, it doesn't sound like that seems intuitive, but actually, if you think about it, that leather around the ankle does not really prevent that much more ability for your ankle to roll in or invert, as we call that when we sprain our ankle typically. If we do truly want to prevent someone or reduce the likelihood of them spraining their ankle... In that situation, we usually recommend ankle braces, and typically a lace-up ankle brace is what I usually recommend. And I'm a big supporter of using those in sports such as volleyball or basketball. I do think that they can help reduce the likelihood of those, and there is some research studies to back that up. However, again, I wouldn't necessarily jump to a high top as my way to hopefully prevent my ankle from being a problem. And if you look at it these days, there really are not as many high tops as there used to be when I sold shoes back in the 80s. 
there were a ton of truly high top shoes out there. And then they went to the mid top and popularized a lot by Michael Jordan and other NBA players at the time. And then there was a lot of low tops. And then, you know, again, the same sort of thing we've seen also with things like football cleats and certainly with basketball shoes, volleyball shoes, things like that is usually if we do get something that has a little bit higher part to it, it's a mid top rather than a high top. Well, I hope that that was helpful for you. And thanks so much for joining me today to discuss shoes. Hopefully this will allow you to be a little bit better informed as a consumer in this area with your young athlete. You can check out my full podcast library at healthyyoungathletepodcast.com. You can follow me through our Facebook page and also on Twitter at HYAPod. Please leave us feedback and rate our podcast. I am so grateful for you taking the time to listen to us today. I am Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this has been the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. Thank you for joining us today for the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. We hope you'll join us for future episodes. Please review our podcast and spread the word about us. You can find our full episode library at healthyyoungathletepodcast.com. This is Dr. Mark Halstead, and you've been listening to the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast.